0: for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. This is the first episode of season three of Pod and Prejudice. If you're new here, we are so excited to be embarking on this journey with you. And to those of you who have been with us from the beginning, thank you, we love you, and welcome back. Before we begin, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patron, Felicia. If you want access to bonus content like outtakes, our notes, and book recommendations, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. And just a reminder, as we're going into a new season, I have never read Emma before, so please, please, please keep all contact with our social media spoiler free. If you absolutely must talk about the plot, email us at podandprejudice at gmail.com with the subject line, spoilers, and Becca will be sure to read your message. And now, without further ado, here's the first episode of Season 3 of Pod and Prejudice, covering the first three chapters of Emma. All
1: right, so let's sync up on this one. Yeah. Five, four,
0: Three. three two, one.
1: one. Terrifying. <laughs> we
0: just made direct eye contact. It
1: was so intense. It was very intimate. As is being
0: in person recording a podcast with you.
1: I know. It's been so long for our listeners. They hear us come together, you know, every two weeks, but we live together and then we recorded in person for a while together. But since we've been recording with guests, it's been very much Zoom focused and we've been both so busy that we haven't seen each other in a while so this is a really nice like reunion come home like Ready to record season three of Pod and Prejudice. Season
0: three of Pod and Prejudice. Holy shit. Season three of Pod and Prejudice. Wow. For those of you who have been with us since the very beginning, uh, this was unexpected. (laughs) Unexpected. Thank you so much for sticking with us for so long and for building up our little community here. It's so amazing to have you all here with us for this journey.
1: And for this journey, I just have to say, this is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen.
0: We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Emma, Emma!
1: Grim's gonna hate that bit. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's we're we're here. We are here, we're talking about it. It's been a long journey to get here. Listeners, if you're here joining us for the first time, allow us to introduce ourselves.
1: I Becca am what you would call a Jane Austen stan. I've read many of her books. I've been reading them since high school. I've been watching the movies even longer. And my favorite thing to do is tell my friends to read and watch the things I like to read and watch.
0: And I am one of those friends that Becca told to read and watch a thing that she likes to read and watch. I'm Molly, and I have never read any Jane Austen before I started doing this podcast. At this point in the podcast,
1: listeners, you can go back and listen to Seasons 1 and 2. Season 1 is where we cover Pride and Prejudice. Season 2, we cover Sense and Sensibility. And that is not what we're doing here today.
0: No, today we're talking about the first three chapters of Emma. And we are so excited because so many people have been so excited to get to this book with us.
1: This has been a long time coming. For those of you who have stuck with us for a while, you know that we were thinking of doing Emma second, but our listeners picked very closely, picked Sense and Sensibility next, which I was thrilled with because Sense and Sensibility is my favorite. But I am so excited to get back into Emma because I love this book. I love this book. I'm so excited to share it with you. Molly, are you excited to
0: read it? I'm so excited to read it. I mean, based on what I've read so far, I really like the style. I like the characterizations that have come out, but it is so different from what we've read so far.
1: Oh, yes. And we're going to get really far into that. Hello, The Economics of Dating and Jane Austen, but we're going to get really far into that. And it is particularly different from Sense and Sensibility, which was our last book. And we're going to talk about why. But I would say this. So Emma is a delightful book. I think it's probably my second favorite Jane Austen book. But there's an adjective that I think suits this book better than any of her other books. And that is funny.
0: Nice. It is a
1: funny book, isn't it?
0: It is funny so far. It's definitely funny.
1: So That is all I will say about the book.
0: I want to say as a little housekeeping bit before we begin, if you are new with us and you're just picking this up because you love Emma and it just popped up on your podcatcher, we are spoiler free. I have never read Jane Austen and this podcast hinges on that. So if you start following us on Instagram or Twitter, don't message about the end of this book, like the characters in it. I don't want to know. You can email us. At podandprejudice at gmail.com. And
1: just drop the subject line spoiler in your email if you want to talk about something about the end of Emma. People did that with Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice. I read those emails. I can be spoiled because I know how these things end. Molly doesn't know anything about these books except that they were written by Jane Austen.
0: Exactly. And uh that clueless is based on this one.
1: Yes, and Once again, listeners, Molly has watched Clueless and does not remember the plot.
0: Yeah. So something about me that you should know before we get started is that things like this tend to go over my head. So I don't know how I went through my whole childhood not having read any Jane Austen in high school or college, but I somehow did and somehow avoided spoilers for them as well. So it's possible that I did get spoiled. Like, for example, I had seen Bridget Jones's diary before I read Pride and Prejudice. But uh, those plot points just flew right out of my brain. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I didn't know that they were based on it. Like I didn't know Clueless was based on Emma. So to me, there's no connection there. And I don't remember anything except that she wears like a yellow uh, plaid skirt.
1: That's so funny that happens in this book.
0: Really? No. <laughs>
1: I mean, spoiler alert, she doesn't wear a pleated plaid mini skirt in this book,
0: but a pleated plaid maxi skirt.
1: Anyway, listeners, <laughs> it's probably time to just dive right in.
0: Yes. So before we dive in, I know I keep saying that, but before we dive in, the way this is going to work is we're going to do a very detailed um, reenactment, not reenactment.
1: We're going to recount the story. We're going to talk about it as it goes. And then I am going to ask Molly a couple questions to probe into her mind without giving away any spoilers how she's thinking about the book and the trajectory of the story.
0: Yeah. So now let's for real dive in. Yes. So the book starts. I wanted to, again, before before we dive in that's gonna be my catchphrase this season is the dedication of the book which we talked about on one of our fun facts for the pod squad on our patreon subtle plug if you want to become a patron and you like what you're hearing you can go to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice but anyway we have talked about this before but the dedication to this book is I'm just gonna read it to his royal highness the prince regent This work is, by His Royal Highness's permission, most respectfully dedicated by His Royal Highness's dutiful and obedient, humble servant, the author. So Jane Austen hated the Prince Regent because he was, uh, he mistreated his wife and he was debaucherous. And so he was a big fan of hers and told her, you have my permission to dedicate any of your future books to me.
1: And she went, "Mm, sure.
0: Yeah, because she knew it would look good if she did. But then she was like, to his royal highness, the prince regent, by his royal highness's permission, by his royal highness's dutiful, obedient servant. Like, how many times can she say to his royal highness, how tongue in cheek can she be? By his royal permission. By his
1: royal permission. We love. We love. And I want to start the discussion with the opening line of the novel. Yes, let's hear it. Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich, with a comfortable home and happy disposition, seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence and had lived nearly 21 years in the world with very little to distress or vex her.
0: Can you talk about different from sense and sensibility? Yes, sense and sensibility opens
1: up with death, and Emma decidedly opens on a different
0: note. Let's talk about that note. Emma's rich? she's got everything going for her. At some point in this chapter, they even say that she is too much going well for her and she doesn't have any problems and it's not going to turn out well. Like There's some (laughs) foreshadowing there. Jane Austen turning to the camera. Yeah. So her mother is dead, but she has a loving and indulgent father and an older sister who's already married and moved away. So it's just her and her dad and her governess, Miss Taylor, who is more her friend than her governess.
1: Miss Taylor is almost like an older sister to Emma. And you can kind of tell as they go through the books that like she cared for her, she taught her, but the two of them were besties. And immediately the book starts out with, you know, not a lot of problems and a whole lot of female friendship.
0: Yes, I did love that. Yes. So the only thing the book says, or Jane Austen says that can alloy her pleasures and alloy, meaning like to debase something by adding something inferior. Oh, by the way, if you're new here, I look up the words that I don't understand. And I tell you what they mean so that you don't have to feel embarrassed about not knowing them, because I know you all don't know that word either.
1: Listen, I think there's shouts to you if you're our listener and you are using this podcast to actually get to know Jane Austen for the first time, because You know, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you've never read Jane Austen. And I think that everyone should read Jane Austen and everyone should have fun doing it. So good for you. Shout out to us if you are someone who is using this podcast to read through the canon for the first time with Molly. Yes, we
0: love that. So the only thing that can bring down her pleasure is that she has it too easy. She gets her own way too much and she thinks too well of herself. But right now, she doesn't even think of that as a problem. So. The first sad thing to happen in this book is that Miss Taylor gets married.
1: Again, the inciting incident is so different in this book than it is in Sense and Sensibility or even in Pride and Prejudice, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, in Pride and Prejudice, somebody eligible comes to town. In Sense and Sensibility, someone dies. Here, Emma is not going to see her best friend every day.
0: because she gets married, which is the difference between a comedy and a tragedy. Exactly. (laughs) So she realizes how lonely she is when the wedding is over and all the people are gone. And she's just sitting there with her dad. And there's no third person to kind of temper the situation. Very relatable content. Like when you're a party's over and you're like, I'm bored and lonely now. Mm -hmm. So she's just sitting there thinking about everything she's lost. And the next part I got the whole chapter, really, I forgot that we weren't um, going through our days and that she's not like she's reminiscing. So time's not passing here. But because it said that her dad went to bed and she was thinking about stuff, I got really confused. And I thought that a lot of time passed. But this is all just in her mind. We reflect on everything. So we meet Mr. Weston. He is someone of unexceptionable character, which I have to say unexceptionable sounds like unexceptional. And so I was confused, but unexceptionable means not open to objection, meaning he is a good guy.
1: He's a great dude. Mr. Weston's just an all around good dude.
0: Yeah, we like him. So even though that he is a good dude, Emma is really sad because she and Miss Taylor have been together 16 years. This woman practically raised her until her older sister Isabella got married and then they were just like best friends and sisters. Miss Taylor was quote one to whom she could speak every thought as it arose and who had such an affection for her as could never find fault. I think that that's going to come and bite Emma in the butt because she's learned to just speak freely and not worry about what it's going to make someone think of her and not find fault in her and you can't be that way with everyone.
1: What am I going to do here?
0: Neither confirm nor deny. I will
1: neither confirm nor deny.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> I missed this. It's so fun. It's so fun. So Miss Taylor is only a half mile from them, which is not far in terms of Regency era like distances, but Emma is more sad that she's not going to have anyone to like intellectually spar with on the daily. She can't really have conversations with her father, who is a, let me see if I can say this word, valetudinarian, which is a person who is unduly anxious about their health.
1: I mean, let's talk about an iconic relatable king.
0: Honestly, because like, (laughs) He is nervous about everything, and I relate.
1: Yes. So one of the context pieces of this is that Mr. Woodhouse was rather old for having a small child when he had Emma. Mm. So Mr. Woodhouse is older than some of the other parents we've seen, which means, you know, he's a bit more indulgent, as you see here. But he's also at this point like an elderly man compared to Daddy Bennett, who's in the prime of his life.
0: Right. Well, Daddy Bennett, I mean, at least in the movies, he's kind of old. Well, Daddy Bennett is a little old, but like
1: Mrs. Bennett's young. Mrs. Dashwood's young, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think part of that is like we've seen a lot of women parents, but he's a dad parent and the men are often older than the women in these relationships.
1: Yes. But Mr. Woodhouse is a bit older than Mr. Bennett was.
0: Yeah. And and it says he's older in his ways and how he behaves than he actually is in years. So he's like oh, I have to stay inside because the outside world will kill me. Exactly.
1: So he's just this wealthy man who's like, oh, yes, I, I'm definitely dying. And she's like, oh, you have indigestion.
0: Yeah. And Emma's sister is too far away for her to see every day. She's 16 miles away in London. So she only sees her on holidays. So it's just Emma and her dad.
1: We have some context here. How far are they from London?
0: 16 miles. Yes, which is not that far, but is still sufficiently
1: far that they can't be there all the time. But closer than some of our other characters have been. Totally.
0: So Emma kind of looks down on the town that her estate is on. I wanted to read this part out loud. Go for it. Highbury, the large and populous village almost amounting to a town to which Hartfield, in spite of its separate lawn and shrubberies and name, did really belong, afforded her no equals. The Woodhouses were first in consequence there all looked up to them. She had many acquaintance in the place, for her father was universally civil, but not one among them who could be accepted in lieu of Miss Taylor for even half a day. Kind of annoying.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a combination of super snotty and classist and also at the same time relatable and being like, oh, God... I already know everybody here and none of them is as cool as my best friend who just moved away.
0: Totally. That part's relatable. What I don't like is the whole like Hartfield is in Highbury basically, but it has a separate lawn and like it faces the other way or I don't know. But she's like, it's almost a town, the place where we are kind of living. Like she just is so insular. Like this is my estate and where I live and those people out there are less than me it's kind of annoying.
1: Yes. And it's not uncommon, I think, in a lot of places in the UK for there to be like one big manor home in a town that is otherwise not so populous. And we talked about this with Rosings in yeah, But you know, those towns are sort of built around sort of like the economics of that estate. And like Highbury is a little bit larger than that. But a lot of people in the town probably work at Hartfield and there are, you see more people who are sort of in the middle and upper middle class in Highbury than you do in some of these other towns. But the estate there at this point in time is still a piece of the town's economy. Right. And Emma is a part of that estate.
0: Yes. In any event, she has to be cheerful for her father, even though she's sad because he's a nervous man who hates change. And to him, matrimony is always disagreeable.
1: So first of all, this part always makes me laugh because it makes me think of like, you know, anybody in their 30s who just suddenly looks around and is like, wait, why are people getting married? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So like, it just feels like half of the people I know nowadays are just now Mr. Woodhouse being like, no one should get married. What, what are they doing?
0: Right. It's very relatable. Like you look around at at all of a sudden, all your friends are married and having babies. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. I don't want that. It's like, wait, no, no. Where did you go? We had brunch. Right. Come back. That's what he's like. Come back. You're not hanging out with me anymore. So like he's really upset. He hasn't even gotten over Isabella getting married, his other daughter, when Miss Taylor, who's like a daughter to him, gets married. And now nobody's hanging out with him except Emma. So yeah, we relate. (laughs) Mr. Woodhouse, a completely wealthy white man who's also an total relatable icon. I know. But and also the opposite of Miss Bennett, Mrs. Bennett, like she wanted to marry off her daughter so bad. And he's like, please do not get married, Emma. He keeps calling Miss Taylor, poor Miss Taylor and saying she would have been better off staying with them forever. And Emma's like, well, not really, because now she has a house of her own and she's better off not having to deal with my odd humors, which I noticed she loves to be self-deprecating.
1: Emma's super witty.
0: She is witty.
1: Yes. Yes. She's a fascinating character. We're going to talk so much about Emma as a character. I'm already fascinated. Yes. So we're going to go into it, but I'm not going to talk about it fully right now. But one thing she has is always a fun little quip. And she's very playful in her quipping. Like Lizzie's very sharp in her quipping. Eleanor's internal, Emma, is fun. She just has a good time throwing her words around and making people laugh.
0: Yeah, I feel like Emma's a stand-up.
1: Yes, absolutely. She's putting on a little performance for everyone around her.
0: Yeah, So her dad is like, well, and she's not better off with her own house. This house is three times bigger than that one. And you're perfect just the way you are. And Emma's like, well, it's going to be okay. We're going to visit each other all the time. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, well, I can't walk all the way to Randall's, which is the name of her new estate or her new house. And Emma's like, well, we don't expect you to walk. We'll take the carriage. And he's like, it's too short a distance to take the carriage. Where will we keep the horses when they're there? And Emma's like, dad, we literally talked about this last night at the wedding, which is when I realized. The wedding was yesterday. Was the wedding yesterday or this morning?
1: I don't know exactly. It doesn't make it clear in the books, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, it just happened. It
0: just happened. I think it was this morning. I think this is all happening that evening, potentially the day before. And uh, they're like, we just talked about this. And James, who takes care of the horses, wants to visit, too, because uh, his daughter Hannah works there. We got him that job there. And Mr. Woodhouse then goes on about how great Hannah is and how glad he is he got her a job at Randall's and how that means she can update Miss Taylor when James comes and visits. Like James can do it for them. They don't have to actually go visit. (laughs) (laughs) He just doesn't want to go anywhere.
1: I mean, he's scheming to get out of getting in the Uber.
0: He really is. I so relate.
1: He doesn't want to get out of bed. Who amongst us has not canceled plans to sit in bed and eat cookie dough?
0: Literally me, for this weekend. Except that Mr. Woodhouse is eating gruel instead. I know because cookie dough is bad for the system. Exactly. So then Emma thinks that maybe a game of backgammon will distract him. But as she's setting up the game, a visitor arrives.
1: And who might that visitor be?
0: Kira Knightley! Is it? No, I just had to do it at least once and I got it out of my system and now I won't do it ever again.
1: Quite honestly, though, I would pay to see Kira Knightley play Mr. Knightley, but you know, we'll get there.
0: All right, so I'm gonna picture Kira Knightley in drag for Mr. Knightley.
1: Kira Knightley, if you wanna do that or you don't know, come on this podcast, we would be more than happy to support your endeavor.
0: Absolutely. So, Mr. Knightley, who I just want to throw out there for for no reason whatsoever. But I just think that it should be said that he's Emma's brother-in-law.
1: I mean, I think we can tell the listeners that you heard something in the rumor mill.
0: You're right. We should tell them. Listeners, I heard something in the rumor mail about Emma and Mr. Knightley. I don't know what that means for the story, the plot line. But all I know is that he's her brother-in-law, so I don't believe it. <laughs> They're related. I mean, it's not like we've talked about this before. It's not so weird when people are related and dating in this world, but like he's our sister's husband's brother. I think I think that's weird. So to me, they're going to be sparring partners. I don't know what I what I heard, what I read. That's what they are to me right now.
1: I will neither confirm nor deny either way. Do you want me to comment on the brother-in-law of it all?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's her brother-in-law, right?
1: I mean, he is her brother-in-law, yes. 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 Yeah,
0: let's leave it at that for now. Okay. So Mr. Knightley arrives and is her brother-in-law. He's her sister's husband's brother. He lives a mile away from them and he visits often, but today he's actually coming from visiting her sister and his brother.
1: So something that's going to drive you really crazy is that they will consistently refer to Mr. Knightley as Mr. Knightley and the brother as John Knightley.
0: His name's John.
1: His name is John. Again? Yes.
0: (laughs) And what's Mr. Knightley's name?
1: Mr. Knightley is George Knightley. His brother is John Knightley.
0: I cannot believe there's yet another George and another John. Can you at this point? Although we have uh, a new
1: name now. We haven't had an Emma yet, have we?
0: No, we have not. This is true. Or an Isabella. Yes. Or a Woodhouse or a Knightley.
1: Well, the the last names don't overlap so much. It's really the first names.
0: That's true. That's true. So Mr. Woodhouse thanks Mr. Knightley for coming at such a late hour. It's nighttime. Is that proper of him to stop by? Does it not matter since he's family?
1: Mr. Knightley has like a an unusually like close relationship with Mr. Woodhouse and Emma. They're friends and they're more than just friends. They're neighbors. So Mr. Knightley is over in a sort of casual sense in a way that doesn't always happen. Like he's not calling on them. No, he doesn't often call on them. He will come over and uh, just hang out with them. And, you know, he's he's close to them. I think they have known each other for a very long time. And Mr. Knightley doesn't have to fall on the same decorum with the Woodhouses that others might. Um, He does because he's kind of a, proper dude um so he's apologizing for showing up late but he's also welcome literally anytime at this estate
0: yeah and um mr woodhouse is like oh like you must be so cold and wet and dirty it was rainy out there and he's like no look it's completely dry i'm fine (laughs) and then mr woodhouse is like well it rained for half an hour earlier i wanted them to call off the wedding And then Mr. Knightley is like oh the wedding but congratulations by the way who cried the most and Mr. Woodhouse is like it was Miss Taylor the poor thing <laughs> terrible event for her poor Miss Taylor poor Miss Taylor and he's not calling her Mrs. Weston no he never does mm-hmm. that's when Mr. Knightley says well I can feel bad for you and Emma but I can't feel bad for Miss Taylor and at first I was like ah he's a romantic but no not really he was just like she's much better off this way.
1: It's a very good match for Miss Taylor, as I'm sure you've gathered as we've talked about it. Yes. But he's he's a decently well-off man, and Miss Taylor was, you know, a governess. Right. And, you know, he's a nice, decent man that everyone likes in town as well. So Mr. Knightley is looking at this being like, oh, an advantageous match for a woman who's older and doesn't have a lot of means.
0: Right, exactly. So he says that it's also better for her to only have one person to look after instead of two. And then Emma makes one of her little quips where she says, especially when one of those two is so fanciful and troublesome. And her poor dad is like, oh, yes, very true. I am afraid
1: I can not be fanciful and troublesome. <laughs> you can almost hear the, daddy, no.
0: Yeah, she's, she's like, no, 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 I meant me. <laughs> he is the personification of Eeyore.
1: Oh, my God. He's so doom and gloom. And it's great because his life
0: is amazing. Yeah. Then she's like, no, you know, I was talking about myself. Mr. Knightley loves to find fault with me. We always say what we like to one another. And she says it's, like, you know, very joking. But actually, Mr. Knightley is one of the few people who can see the faults in Emma and tell her about them. And so she's like, oh, no, like he, we're just joking. But really, she just wants her dad to think that everyone thinks she's perfect. And Mr. Knightley is like, yes, well, you know, I never flatter you, Emma, but I, I really just meant That Miss Taylor is winning in this situation because she only has to please one person instead of both of you. And then Emma is like, okay, well, let me tell you about the wedding. It was perfect and nobody cried. And we all thought it's great that we're only a half mile away because we're going to see each other every day, which is the opposite of what she was just stressing about, like privately.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Basically, on the outside, she's just all smiles and happiness. And she's like, oh, my life's perfect still. My life's perfect still. And she still has this little, like, nagging sadness.
0: Yeah, but she's
1: so sad. Her best friend's gone. Yeah, she's she's not like devastated. She's happy for Miss Taylor, but she's, she's lonely. Yes. I'm a little melancholy
0: about it. Right, and her dad knows this, and he's like, Emma's a lot sadder than she's acting. And Mr. Knightley is like, well, how could she not be sad? How can she not miss Miss Taylor? But this is the best situation for Miss Taylor, and you should all be happy for her. And Emma is like, well, yeah, and I should be especially happy because I made this match myself. And everyone thought that Mr. Weston would never marry again. So he had been married once before. And then Mr. Woodhouse is like, don't go about making any more matches. I hate marriage. And Emma's like, well, I won't make any more matches for myself, but I will make more matches for other people. We're going to talk about that in the study questions, but keep going on. (laughs) We've, We've
1: figured out what Emma's sort of cleverness and her boredom leads to, which is her desire to do some heavy matchmaking. Some meddling, if you will. Some nosing into other people's business.
0: So she explains that Mr. Weston had been a widower for many years and he was perfectly content with his single life. But one day she and Miss Taylor met him in the street and it started to, and I quote, mizzle. That's what it said in the book. It really did. I missed that. I missed that. It said mizzle instead of drizzle. I just, I love that. Thanks, Jane Austen. Thanks for this new word that I'm going to use all the time. Mizzling. So it started to mizzle. It sounds like fuzzy rain, like rain coming down, like muzzy. It sounds. Like- it sounds
1: like mist and drizzle in the same sentence.
0: Oh, you know what? That's probably actually what it is.
1: No, it's probably not what it is. It's probably either a publication error or what they used to call drizzling back in the day.
0: Well, I love it. We should bring it back. <laughs> So anyway, it starts to mizzle, and he ran with such speed to get them two umbrellas. And in that moment, Emma was like, he and Miss Taylor are destined for each other. So she's like, oh, with such success in matchmaking, you can't possibly expect me to quit. And Mr. Knightley says what do you mean success? Like That implies that you did some work. And he doubts that she's actually been working to get them together for the last four years. Instead, he imagines that she sits around or that she has been sitting around every so often thinking, I think it would be a very good thing for Miss Taylor if Mr. Weston were to marry her. And he's like, you can be proud of a lucky guess. And that's about it. And then Emma's like, there's a lot of pleasure and triumph in a lucky guess. And it takes some talent. But There's something in between the do nothing and the do all. So in between the working to get them together and the hmm, I think that would be a nice thing for them. Uh, She promoted Mr. Weston's visits to their estate and gave him little encouragements over the years and kind of made it easy for them to fall in love. And Mr. Knightley says that they are adults and could have managed that for themselves.
1: (laughs) You're getting a sense of the dynamic right here, which is like, uh, you know, that gif of Rapunzel having like a good time when she's free and tangled and she's like swinging on her hair around in a circle and Flynn Rider's in the middle with his arms crossed. Yes. That's Emma and Knightley in the scene.
0: Oh my God. You're so right. I love that. He says that Emma was more likely to have done harm to herself than to have helped them by interfering. And then Mr. Woodhouse is like, no, Emma's selfless. She never thinks of herself if she has the chance to help others. He kind of has a skewed image of his daughter. He really loves her, which I love, but he thinks that she can do no wrong.
1: Yes. We'll talk about this a little bit more in the characterization of Emma and as the book goes on. But it is true. And part of this is Mr. Woodhouse is older and he's a nervous man. And he has this daughter who's, you know, quite attentive to him and is a really young, pretty, clever girl. And, you know, she's very easy to indulge by all measures of society except if you're Mr. Knightley and you have a little stick up your butt.
0: He does have a stick up his butt, but also uh, I have to say, in my mind he's hot.
1: I will neither confirm nor deny.
0: (laughs) Cool. I mean, I am picturing Kira Knightley in drag now. So that's not what I was picturing.
1: I mean, that's perfect. Who were you picturing before I said that?
0: Um, I was picturing maybe it's because I just saw I saw Funny Girl last night, and so I was picturing kind of um a Mr. Arnstein-like man, but younger. Who was I picturing? Oh, I was picturing the guy from Bridgerton who plays Anthony. Anthony. Anthony.
1: I'm not gonna tell you who has, over the years, played Mr. Knightley in film adaptations, but I will tell you you've typecast correctly. Perfect.
0: At long last.
1: Yeah, you you nailed it. No tilde on this one.
0: <laughs> but I'm picturing until this one to Emma. Just kidding. But. Gwyneth Paltrow plays Emma at some point, right? I shall neither confirm nor deny. Totally. But that's who I did confuse yeah. for Tilda Swinton at one point. So actually, we're still on track. <laughs> anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to season one.
1: Yeah, you can learn all about who Molly wanted to play certain characters. Basically, Molly thought Tilda Swinton was Judy Dench. And, you know, you need to hear the context of how absolutely wild that thinking is. <laughs> It, totally, yeah. Or, or you could just look up pictures
0: of them and see that I'm dumb. Um. <laughs> Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster, and together they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love in Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. So Mr. Woodhouse says he doesn't want her to keep making matches because they break up families. And I put a little frowny face. And then Emma's like, okay, okay, but one more for Mr. Elton. Mr. Elton? John? has Is his name John? Can you imagine if his name is John Elton? Becca's looking it up, everyone. (laughs) What's his name? Not John. What is it? According
1: to Jane Austen's Wikipedias. Jane Austen Wiki fandom, to be specific.
0: It's Philip. Philip. Phil Elton. I'm dying. The Phil fright. Elton. Well, there's only like four British names for men, apparently.
1: Phil. We get some new ones in this one.
0: Anyway, Mr. Elton has been Phil has been in town for a year. He's a good guy. She thinks that there's no one in town who deserves him. He has a very nice place. He shouldn't be single. So she wants to find a wife for him. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, maybe if you want to do something nice for him, you invite him to dinner and maybe Mr. Knightley will meet him too. And Mr. Knightley's like, yeah, why don't you help him pick the best of the fish or chicken, but let him choose his own wife. And that's the end of that chapter. Yes, it is. Which brings us to chapter two. It does indeed. In chapter two, we get the story of Mr. Weston. His family has been rising over the past few generations. And I wasn't entirely sure. It said that he came into his independence early, meaning his inheritance.
1: I'm not quite sure.
0: Whatever it was, he didn't have to go into trade like his brothers. No,
1: he joined the militia, which is a more um, respected profession than trade. Right. Trade and um, law in this time period were a bit more like upper middle class professions, whereas um, you could be a Colonel Brandon type in the militia.
0: Right. Um. It said that the militia was embodied. Does that just mean that it was like they had the militia and it wasn't broken up because there was no war or something?
1: I, something of that nature. Yes.
0: Cool. I'm using context clues, everybody. So at some point when he's in the militia, he meets a Miss Churchill and she falls in love with him, offending her proud brother and his wife. Miss Churchill has full access to her own fortune because her parents are dead, though not any portion of the estate because she's a woman. So she marries Mr. Weston against her brother's wishes, mostly to piss him off. Now, she has a great husband. He's a good guy. She should be happy about it. And she is. But she regrets marrying down and losing her estate. Hello, economics of dating and Jane Austen. Graham, the sound effect. Yes, thank you. The quote is, "She did not cease to love her husband, but she wanted at once to be the wife of Captain Weston and Miss Churchill of Enscombe.
1: This is interesting because we have not seen a lot of results of marrying down.
0: No. In yeah. these
1: stories, we've seen a couple women marry down. It's rare in these books we've read so far, but Miss Churchill's story is an aftermath one when you marry for love, and then you have to take a real class dive for love, and it actually does have an effect on our happiness.
0: Yeah, it does. And uh, she ends up dying, not because of that, but just generally dying. She generally dies. She leaves Mr. Weston poorer and with a child to take care of. So he's not doing too hot. And he ends up giving his son, Frank, to Miss Churchill's brother to take care of. He quits the militia. He engages in trade. He gets help from his brothers who are in trade. And he lives happily in out his life in a small house in Highbury for 18 to 20 years. During that time, he builds up some wealth, he purchases a small estate, and he's in a generally good position to marry someone who might not be as well off, such as Miss Taylor. Now, he has liked her for years, but he was determined not to get married until he could purchase Randalls, which is the estate. So now, 18 to 20 years later, he has purchased Randalls, and he marries his woman. And he settles into a new, happier life, which he expects his second marriage will show him the proof that it's, quote, a great deal better to choose than to be chosen to excite gratitude than to feel it. I thought that was interesting because Miss Churchill was like, I'm in love. I I choose you. And I also want to piss off my brother. Like, obviously, she did love him, but she knew that it was a bad match for her. She picked him and kind of brought him along. He was left worse for wear afterwards. And now he's doing someone else a favor.
1: He's he's speaking basically to the power dynamic of the relationship. And as we know, in the economics of dating and Jane Austen, the sound effect, yes, the money really dictates the power in a relationship. And in Mr. Weston's first marriage, he did not have any power. He was in love and walked into a marriage and had no control over his own finances and the way his life panned out. And ended up getting resented by a woman who did not have to marry him. Um, In this situation, he works his entire life to build himself up to a place where he's financially stable on his own terms, and he can control his own worth, his life, his inheritance, everything, his estate in this case. And uh, his wife to be Miss Taylor doesn't need to bring anything to the marriage because they're both older. This is not a marriage that is going to beget heirs. Frank is not dependent on a dowry from Mr. Weston because he's got an aunt and uncle who are super rich. So you have Mr. Weston genuinely having agency that is hard to come by in these time periods to choose who he loves and marry that person. But that's hard fought because he was on the consequences of a class-based marriage that was not ideal for him as the person who was coming up from a lower class.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do have to say, I wonder, I hope the best for the Westins, but I do wonder if they're going to stay as happy as they are right now because everything seems to be working out too well.
1: I will neither confirm nor deny. But this brings me to our new men's name.
0: Frank. Frank. Yes. My notes said, well, Frank return and kind of. I mean, he continues to be a character.
1: Yes, he does. And he's, you might notice from the the timeline, but he would be an adult at this point.
0: Yes, I was thinking about this. So it said that he had, well, we'll get there in a little bit, Well, I'll just say it now. He writes a letter to Mrs. Weston or to Miss Taylor on the occasion of their wedding. And she is like super smitten and like happy with him as a son-in-law or a son, stepson. But they're probably closer in age than she is with Mr. Weston. I mean, how old is she? She was a governess. She was probably just like a teenager, a young teenager for Emma. So she's not that much older than Emma. She's probably like in her late 20s, early 30s. I would say she's got at least a decade on Emma, maybe more. So she's 30,
1: 31. Emma's 20, 21. Emma's 21. We learned that in the first uh, chapter. Well,
0: they said almost 21.
1: Yeah, so 20 to 21. She's like, yeah, she's lived 21 years and Mrs. Weston now would be in her 30s.
0: And Frank would be 23-ish. So, I don't know. Anyway, Frank seems like an eligible bachelor to me. Becca's giving me the blankest stare, listeners. We're back. Anyway, I think Frank is an eligible bachelor. Speaking of Frank, Mr. Weston sees him once a year, and he is very proud of him, and he tells everyone all about Frank, and Highbury is very proud of Frank in turn because they hear all about him all the time. It's like someone going into work and talking about their kid, and and everyone at work is like, oh, how's Frank? It's
1: actually also deeply tragic because you have Mr. Weston like being in a circumstance where his wife died, and he had this little child to take care of, and He doesn't get to raise his son, but he sees him all the time and he just adores him. And this like deep pride he has in his son and the way his son turned out and everything is like, like, it's very sad because he should have gotten to raise him himself.
0: Heartbreaking, especially because Frank hasn't come to visit once in his life. He always goes to visit Frank and somehow they've talked about Frank coming to visit him and it's just never happened. And it breaks my little heart. I was all aw in my margins, just like little frowning faces and
1: like you really feel for Mr. Weston as a person in this chapter.
0: Mm -hmm. Mrs. Weston, meanwhile, feels bad for having left Emma, but she knows that Emma will be okay, especially because the distance between them is so short. And it even said it's perfect for solitary female walking. It indeed is. Jane often loves solitary female walking. She loves a female walk. So Mrs. Weston is so clearly and visibly happy that even Emma is surprised how often her dad continues to say, poor Miss Taylor. (laughs) Like, he really thinks that she would have been better off staying with them. And I just think he must think pretty highly of himself. I I have some problems with the, what what are they? The woodhouses. I like them. They're good people, but they need a, a rude awakening to society. That's what I think. Anyway, we'll get there. A few weeks pass and eventually people stop complimenting Mr. Woodhouse on the marriage, which is good. And then all the cake gets eaten, which is good because it was stressing him (laughs) out that so many people were eating cake because his own stomach, quote, could bear nothing rich and he could never believe other people to be different from himself. That is meta about his worldviews. Additionally, he had kept asking Mr. Perry, who is the apothecary, who comes over all the time, uh, about it. <laughs> and Mr. Perry was like, well, yes, wedding cake probably isn't the best if you don't take it in moderation. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, listen, Mr. Perry said that wedding cake's not the best. So he's trying to tell everyone not to eat the cake, but they all kept eating the cake and there was no rest for his benevolent nerves until all the cake was gone.
1: Oh, Mr. Woodhouse creating an internal problem for just himself is just, uh, oh. I I love him. He's such a disaster. (laughs) I
0: love him too. And it seems that even like when he, when things are going on around him, he seems so oblivious and he thinks that he still thinks that everyone should agree with him and he doesn't mind that they don't, but he's like, we'll talk about it in the next chapter. But anyway, there was even a rumor going around that the apothecary's own children were eating the cake, but he was like, that's too much for me to believe. And that is the end of that chapter. So that brings us to chapter three. Mr. Woodhouse likes company, but only on his own terms. So people have to come to him. He can't have too many people at once, and he doesn't like them to come for dinner because dinner stresses him out, but they can come over for cards. So he has people over every night for cards. The Westons and Mr. Knightley come by a lot because they really like like the Woodhouses, and Mr. Elton is lonely, so he comes. I noted that it said that he had the privilege he, he would join them for the privilege of exchanging any vacant evening of his own blank solitude for the elegancies and society of Mr. Woodhouse's drawing room and the smiles of his lovely daughter. I'm putting it on the record that I think that Mr. Elton has a crush on Emma. I will
1: neither confirm nor deny it. I will only confirm that we now have confirmed. Emma is hot.
0: Emma's hot. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. we we were talking about it. That's the other part of this, is that Emma's so charming, but also part of it is like, you're also just hot. <laughs> It's a line in Mad Men as well.
0: Yeah, she's hot. Charming and hot. They also have over Mrs. Bates and her daughter and Mrs. Goddard. Mrs. Bates is very old. She's a harmless old lady. It really said that. Miss Bates is incredibly popular for someone who isn't young, hot, rich, or married. She's just really likable. There was like a whole page on Miss Bates and how likable she is and how she is nothing else going for her. But I love her. I mean, Miss
1: Bates and well, Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates are like not well off. They're like really not in a good space monetarily, but Miss Bates is a fascinating character. Cause she's kind of like the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, she's super low on money. She's older and she's definitely a full spinster, but not in like a cool, like Catherine de Bourgh widow kind of way. in like a never married, never taken on sort of way. And, So she just has to rely on the kindness of strangers for her and her sick mom all the time. And she's a very pleasant person and she never acts as though that's a problem. But like people like her as a person a lot, but it's also kind of like, I can't believe she just exists like this. Yeah. Which, you know, we we are not a fan of on this show. No, but We stand a woman's right to not have a marriage.
0: Right. But I also think that like people, it seems to me anyway, that people are just fine with that. Like they like her as a person and like still invite her over, at least the Woodhouses do.
1: Everyone likes her for sure, but it's kind of like, it's who Charlotte Lucas could have ended up in a worse circumstance than she was in. Right. And also how she could have ended up if she didn't have the, the finances and backing of her father at that time. Which is just to say that, like, everyone likes you and everyone's still friends with you, but people do pity you almost outwardly.
0: I wonder if Emma is going to work some of her matchmaking magic on Miss Bates. So she's older. She's like, what, probably like 27? Mm Mm-mm. Older? Older. 30?
1: Probably older.
0: Who else could possibly be 30 and willing for her? I don't know. How old is Mr. Elton? We'll find out, I'm sure.
1: You'll find out. We'll, we'll, We'll get there.
0: Well, I'm shipping... Miss Bates with someone.
1: Miss Bates with getting some dick. Listen, or some something or, else. or some something something else. Yeah. No discrimination.
0: Um. Yeah. I'm trying to think. So, well, there was part of me. This is weird and gross and like whatever. But like there was part of me that was like, if it doesn't work out between Miss Taylor and Mr. Weston, I feel like Miss Taylor and Mr. Weston's hot son would end up together, except for that she does, she is in love with Mr. Weston. So that's good. But I, like, I do worry about their whole situation.
1: You're just doing Emma's job for her right now.
0: I am. I am. I'm starting to think about it. So I'm kind of shipping. Well, not shipping, but I'm just like, I do worry about their situation. I worry that he has chosen her not for love, but because he wants someone less well off than him so that he can feel a little bit more stable in his life. So I wonder if their relationship's going to last. I wonder if she's going to fall in love with his hot son. And then Mr. Weston will be available for Miss Bates. That's probably very far-fetched. Fletched? flung, Far-fetched?
1: Far-fetched is what you were going for?
0: Yep. 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 But I'm just putting it out there as as a thought. Anyway.
1: I won't confirm or deny that.
0: Then we meet Mrs. Goddard. She is the mistress of a school. And I wanted to read this part because I thought it was funny. So it's not one of those places where young ladies for enormous pay might be screwed out of health and into vanity, but a real, honest, old-fashioned boarding school where a reasonable quantity of accomplishments were sold at a reasonable price and where girls might be sent to be out of the way and scramble themselves into a little education without any danger of coming back prodigies. So they'll get smart, but not too smart.
1: Yeah, smart, but not smart enough to not get married. Yeah. Jane Austen is teasing.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, <laughs> satire. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's a funny. <laughs> it's a funny joke. Yeah. No, I get it. Good job, Jane Austen. I love her commentary on society and like the world that she lived in.
1: Yeah. And I think even like these first few chapters are so steeped in it already.
0: Totally. Especially because our main character is kind of snobby. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Goddard's school has a really good reputation because she feeds the kids well. She lets them run about in the summer and she treats their chillblains in the winter. And chillblains are like frostbite, but itchy. I googled it. Yikes! It said that no wonder twenty young couple now walk after her to church. Does that mean like the kids grew up and still want to hang out with her? What does that mean? Or just like her kids follow her around?
1: I I think it's that they come with her to church every Sunday. Oh, but that it's a popular
0: school. I understand. I oh, like twenty young people is a lot. Mm -hmm. I understand. So it says that she has formerly owed much to Mister Woodhouse's kindness, so she comes to hang out a lot at night now. I'm wondering what he did for her in the past. Just putting that on the record.
1: We know theoretically that Mr. Woodhouse has had sex because he has two daughters.
0: Mm -hmm. Also, I feel
1: like I should say to be fair to Mr. Woodhouse, because I feel like some people are going to say this in the DMs, and I will put this out there in a way we haven't thought about it. He's absolutely hilarious. But part of the reason he's probably so scared and sad is because he did lose his wife pretty young and unexpectedly.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I I feel bad for the guy.
1: But at the same time, he is such a such a plethora a spoil of riches for comedy.
0: Yes. I wasn't saying that he had sex with Mrs. Goddard. I was saying, like, I wonder if he like there was some financial agreement between them at some point. But sex works, too. I mean, it's possible he gave money to the school. Totally. Yeah, that might make sense. I was just thinking like, oh, like. Or, you know, he
1: gave money to the school (laughs) all
0: right all right all right i was just thinking maybe it would come back up later if someone was in a pinch but probably not but i'm just putting it out there emma likes having all this company but it doesn't make up for the loss of mrs weston then one day mrs goddard asks to bring a miss smith with her now miss smith quote was a girl of 17 whom emma knew very well by sight and had long felt an interest in on account of her beauty Gay. Gay. Uh, Harriet Smith is a mystery. It says that she's somebody's daughter. Somebody had put her in Mrs. Goddard's school. And now someone has made her a parlor boarder. I don't know what a parlor boarder is.
1: I think it means, hang on, I'll Google this because I don't want to get it wrong. But basically, essentially, Harriet's like graduated and she's still boarding there. Um, Oh, I understand. Archaic term for a privileged category of people at a boarding school, parlor boarders are described by a modern historian as paying more than other people's for which they get a room of their own. Basically, she's one of the richie Richie kids at the school.
0: I see. So does Emma just not know anything about Harriet or does nobody know anything about Harriet? People don't know about Harriet. She's a mystery. Wild. Yeah. I mean, like
1: it's possible Mrs. Goddard knows and keeps it under wraps. But like the implication is that she genuinely does not have a tie to her background, which in this day and age is highly relevant, especially because she's a young woman of good manners and a you know, noted beauty. But, you know, this is a time period that's about connections.
0: Is Harriet secretly like have a bad background? Like are her parents not I don't know.
1: We don't know at this point. Emma's speculating the opposite, isn't she?
0: Yeah, she thinks that Harriet's the shit.
1: Well, yeah, she's decided you are hot, so you must be the tits. But I I, I don't know. This this part always strikes me as so interesting because for me it feels like I I've never been like a, quote, popular girl. Is this what like popularity is like? You just see someone who's also pretty and you're like, we're going to be the pretty girls.
0: I guess. Oh, because in Clueless, I, again, I haven't. It's been so many years since I've seen it. But Brittany Murphy appears one day and the popular girl is like, you're one of us, right? I'm
1: not going to confirm or deny that happens in Clueless.
0: Cool. I just, that's what I remember. But also I could be thinking of Heathers or Mean Girls.
1: They do all blend together, don't they?
0: Yeah, they're kind of all the same.
1: I would I would dispute that, but I'm not going to dispute it too hard right now. <laughs> totally. I
0: also have seen both Heathers and Mean Girls, and they are nothing alike, so I can't actually say that about Clueless either. But anyway, nobody knows anything about Harriet. Now, she is pretty in a way that Emma, quote, particularly admires,
1: Gay? Gay.
0: She's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, plump, and sweet-faced.
1: I always liked this description because that straight up describes me. Yeah,
0: (laughs) it is. You're a Harriet. In manners, she isn't too shy. She's very engaging, but she's not pushy. She's humble, very proper, and she's very impressed by their house and comments on it a lot. And Emma just simply loves to be complimented and she loves to be seen as superior. So when she gets compliments on her house, she thinks this girl knows what's up. Emma thinks that Harriet shouldn't be wasted on the inferior society of Highbury and its connections, and that the common folk there are just too unworthy of her. Now, Harriet has just come from the Martins who rent a farm from Mr. Knightley, and she knows that Mr. Knightley thinks highly of them, but Emma assumes that they must be coarse and unpolished because they rent a farm and they're not worthy of Harriet. You can tell I don't love Emma so far. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in the study questions. Totally. Emma has a popular moment. I'm going to read this. And when I say popular, I mean from Wicked. Popular. She thinks to herself, she would notice her. She would improve her. She would detach her from her bad acquaintance and introduce her into good society. She would form her opinions and her manners. It would be an interesting and certainly a very kind undertaking, highly becoming her own situation in life, her leisure and powers.
1: Yes, very much Jane Austen making a point there.
0: Yes, and also it's very, I'll teach you the proper ploys when you talk to voice. Little Don't ways to flirt certain and um And And the, there's one line in particular where she says, I know that's what makes me so nice. <laughs> She's
1: just Emma. I mean, you have to understand that Emma Woodhouse, we'll go into it a bit more in the study questions, is one of the first like popular girls.
0: Totally. Now, the evening just flies by because, quote, Emma was so busy in admiring those soft blue eyes. Gay? So gay. So gay. <laughs> At dinnertime, Mr. Woodhouse is stressed because he just he loves to have company and he loves to set the table and everything. But he hates putting food in front of people because it's so unwholesome. And he, he has for himself a bowl of thin gruel and he tries to get people to eat soft boiled eggs. He's like just a small one or, or just like a tiny little slice of apple tart. But don't worry, the apples are fresh. There's no preserves and uh, uh, maybe half a glass of wine, but pour it into a glass of water and, and that, that'll be OK. And while he's talking, Emma just like keeps serving out actual good food and he just doesn't seem to notice or care. And she really just wants to make Harriet happy. As for Harriet, she was so nervous to meet Emma because she's so well-esteemed in town. But Emma treats her so well and even shakes hands with her. So Harriet goes away happy. Oh, Harriet. I like Harriet.
1: Protect Harriet.
0: Protect Harriet at all costs. Harriet and Miss Bates. Love them both. Uh
1: amazing. That actually ends chapter three, does it not? It sure does. That brings us to the study questions. Becca's study questions. Missed the study
0: questions.
1: All right, let's start out. What are your impressions of Highbury? What do you make of the world we've been placed in here?
0: It's interesting because Emma is not a reliable narrator here and she makes Highbury seem like a terrible town to live and that her estate is the only good place to be. I imagine it's kind of a normal town. And it seemed to I, I like the people in it. It's a gossipy place, uh see, like we've seen in the past. But everyone that we've met seems pretty cool. I like that her dad likes company.
1: Yeah. We're already dropped into this world where we already have formed a large amount of the community around Emma. We're yeah. meeting a lot of characters very quickly. And in like Pride and Prejudice, it was similar in that we we got dropped in the world and it was immediately like these are the Lucases. These are the Bingleys. These are the Bennett's. This is everybody you're going to meet for a while. Mrs. Long. Mm-hmm. And uh, the introduction of the town of Highbury really is in that same vein. Although this is the first story we have where we have, you know, just the family is quite small we're following.
0: Quite small and quite rich.
1: It is indeed. My next question is, what do you think of how Jane Austen starts the story? And h- how does that form the tone of the story?
0: So it's... Pretty fast paced. Like I feel like we've already, like you said, met a lot of the people that we're going to meet. I like that it starts with a wedding and I like that the tone set around the wedding is like, oh darn. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I I do like all of the female friendship that has already taken precedent and like is important to Emma. I like that we've already had a lot of dinner parties and gatherings. I like the banter. Story wise, I this always happens, but I'm always like, I feel like the story's already ha- like, how is it gonna go on for another however many volumes there are in this?
1: Yeah, we really open up at the end of one story and the beginning of another, mm-hmm. and so right now things feel calm because we feel like we just got the happy ending, which is interesting, and it, it keeps the story very light and brisk at first, but also does create a little bit, just enough conflict to drop us into a new story that needs to be resolved. Only a little bit, only a drop. Mm-hmm. But mostly everyone's happy.
0: Everyone's happy. And there have been hints of, like, there's the hint of Harriet. There's the hint of Frank, um, who I think is going to come back. And these things all, like, everything seems kind of low stakes. I guess because we're coming from Sense and Sensibility where everything was high stakes. Here it's like Emma wants to have some fun and, like, puts around in people's love lives. And that's like going to be the main event as far as I know. So it's much lighter and more fast paced.
1: Absolutely. So my next question is one I think I'm going to ask you every single episode of this book. Yes. What do you think of Emma?
0: Oh my God, I hate her. All right, talk. But I love her too. She's so annoying and so entitled and so snobby. And so like she does not care that she's rich and she has all this privilege and she doesn't like acknowledge that. And I know that she doesn't have to because of the time period that she lives in. But it's kind of like listeners, I'm sorry if you haven't read this book, but we just read Accomplished by Amanda Quayne. And we released an episode with the interview with the author. And that was all about like a modernization of Georgiana Darcy. And in that Georgiana has to reconcile like that she's grown up wealthy and has had everything come easily to her her whole life with the fact that like not everyone has had everything come easily to her and i don't think that emma knows that everything hasn't come easily to her so that's what i'm kind of thinking of right now is like the entitlement of not recognizing that everything has come easily to her her whole life which it, it even says in the narration is that like emma's downfall is that everything's come too easily to her she's never had to work for anything but on the flip side of not liking how she like moves through the world she's funny She's witty. She loves her dad and she loves her friends and she loves her family. She loves a party. She loves to meddle. like she's a fun character. And I like her personality. Like I like how she acts. I just don't like how she thinks. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, and I am so excited because this is something that so so where're i'm I'm going to do my very best to discuss all of this without talking about like later parts of the book. But Jane Austen immediately throws in your face that this character, while awesome, is super flawed. And in some ways, I find Emma such a refreshing character because she doesn't have to be perfect. She is not a perfect character and she's still charming and likable despite the fact that she is deeply problematic in a lot of ways. And I think that Jane Austen is really doing that on purpose here there's a great quote that I will not read until you are done with this book that Jane Austen wrote about her character Emma and I cannot wait to share that with you and I would also say this is another question I have how is she different than our other heroines
0: well for one she's rich and our other heroines so far have not been i mean the dashwoods were and then they weren't how is she different she's an only child no she's not and she has a sister she lives alone with her dad i feel like she doesn't she doesn't need to marry
1: that's it.
0: Oh, my God. I'm so proud of myself. I was yeah. like sitting here. I was thinking about it. And then I, it popped out of my mouth and Becca's eyes lit up.
1: She doesn't need to get married. Graham, we're going to need a very luxurious economics of dating and Jane Austen's sting right here. So this is the first time that the entire story is not dominated by our heroines or their sisters needing to find a husband. Whoa. This is also a piece of Emma that I adore and makes her sort of a revolution in her time is that she is a character that is wealthy enough and lucky enough in her inheritance that she is not subject to the same tragedies if her father dies that some of our other characters have been subject to. And because of that, we see a character that has almost no interest in marrying herself at this point. She does not need to marry. She does not need to secure her position in this world. If she marries ever, it's going to be only because it's what she wants, only because she wants to find someone who will make her happy. She does not need to secure anything for herself or her family. So her story is a completely different one than any one we have followed so far.
0: This must have been so fun for Jane Austen to write because, I mean, in what order did she write them? Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Emma, right?
1: That's a complicated question because she did write a draft of Pride and Prejudice first, um, but Emma did come after both Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice.
0: So like she's been writing these characters who are like completely dependent on men. And now she gets to raise someone who's not.
1: No, Emma Woodhouse is not dependent on anyone. Emma Woodhouse is meddling in other people's lives because she's bored and she's way too clever to be sitting alone in a house. But she does not have things to occupy her mind that stress her out because she does not have stressors on her life that most women do in this time period.
0: That's exciting.
1: It's exciting. It's cool. It's interesting. And it makes Emma a little imperfect as a character. She has not faced enough adversity to be a perfect character. But instead, we get a character who's kind of like, all right, that's what it is on the side. What now? What am I doing with myself now? And it leaves her room to be a romantic, but also to decide, I don't really give a shit about that for myself. Yeah. Uh, So Emma's a fun character to follow for those reasons. She's frustrating because of the whole super classist, snotty thing she's got going on. Mm -hmm. But she's witty. She's funny. She's in her heart of hearts, like caring about her friends and family, as you said. But she's an obnoxious asshole. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you after every single set of chapters, what you think of Emma. And we're going to talk about it every week. So because or every two weeks, because this is a biweekly podcast, not a weekly podcast. Sorry, everybody. We (laughs) have full time jobs. Yes, we do. Um, OK, very excited to talk about that with you. This is what makes this book so much in some ways lighter than some of her other works. Totally. OK, predictions about Frank Churchill.
0: OK, so I've already said my one out left yes, field. You did. One. you did. Yeah. Other than that, I do think that he is going to make a return. I think that possibly Emma will try to set him up with Harriet because that makes sense. He's a man and he's probably hot. I just picture him being hot, and he's to the right age. He's 23-ish, so uh, that might make sense for Harriet, or she's going to try and set up Harriet with Mr. Elton, so maybe not Frank, but Frank's definitely going to be a romantic love interest for someone.
1: Will not confirm or deny that, but what I will say about Frank which I find interesting, is that we've met two children of Highbury so far and both of them have dead mothers. And they are victims of that circumstance in very different manners based on the situations of their fathers.
0: Yes, and then they both ended up with rich families. Indeed. Indeed. So here's another potential train of thought for Frank. He and Emma bond over their mutual dead mothers because that is a bonding thing. And then fall in love. Just a thought.
1: You'll neither confirm nor deny.
0: Okay. What are your current thoughts on Miss Harriet? She's great. I think she's really sweet. A mystery. Don't understand what that's all about. I think maybe her family, she's like not very high born. And so they just dropped her off on Mrs. Goddard's stoop. Like maybe that's what happened, but she it's a school so she would have had to be
1: someone's paying for tuition for her. Oh. oh, oh we okay. just don't know who.
0: Oh. Okay, right? Right cuz you have to pay. Reasonable price for a reasonable as i said. Um gosh, i don't know. That one really has me stumped. I don't know who her family could be. I think it's fun that we have a mystery character who nobody knows anything about. Ooh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Um yeah, but she seems really sweet. What do she and Emma offer each other? For Emma, a new potential friend because she's lost hers to marriage and also a task because I'm pretty sure she's going to try to set Harriet up with someone um that's another thing that I think I that I've read online in my scrollings because it's impossible to avoid people talking about Emma so I'm pretty sure she's going to try to matchmake Harriet and for Harriet she offers her an advantageous friendship because I think that Emma being so rich and Harriet potentially not being as rich, it might be nice to make a rich friend.
1: Oh yeah. And it's not just that she's not rich, she does not have connections that people know of. Emma's rich but also high class. Yeah. The combo is unbeatable as a friend for Harriet. So this gives Emma if we're being cold about it, a project. She's bored. She lost her friend. She needs someone to talk to and someone to Spin in circles around.
0: Popular.
1: Exactly. And for Harriet, it is a life-changing thing where she has the opportunity to get a glimpse into a class that she is not in at this moment. Although it's hard to say because, you know, again, we don't know her background. But on another level, you are correct that these are also just two lonely women. And this book is you know, you could read gay, but also very, very interested in showing us women becoming friends.
0: Yes, I love female friendship. But the way that Emma talks about Harriet's beautiful blue eyes, gay, it's just a little gay.
1: Oh, I-, I read it. And I was immediately like, oh, Molly's gonna think this is so gay. And like, you wouldn't be wrong. It's very, like, very focused on Harriet's appearance. Um, I think what Jane Austen is going for there is that Emma is deciding that she's like worthy because she's pretty, which is a very popular girl thing to do. Quote unquote, popular girl is kind of like a misnomer, guys, because, you know, not most women don't do this stuff in like real life. It's something that happens in like middle school and high school, but it does happen. Anyway, that is the last of my like special study questions for this section. Uh, So that brings me to my three standbys. Funniest quote.
0: It's a series of of quotes.
1: Do, Do you want me to read one of the characters?
0: Yes. How about you play Emma and I'll play Mr. Woodhouse?
1: Okay. How often we shall be going to see them and they coming to see us. We shall always be meeting. We must begin. We must go and pay wedding visit very soon.
0: My dear, how am I to get so far? Randall's is such a distance, I could not walk half so far.
1: No, Papa, nobody
0: thought of your walking.
1: We must go in the carriage to be sure. The
0: carriage? But James would not like to put the horses to for such a little way. And where are the poor horses to be while we are paying our visit? Questions moving forward? Who does Harriet belong to? I need to know. I also am curious about the outcome of the Weston's relationship. I'm curious about Frank. Right now, I'm curious about everything, but mostly who, whomst, does Harriet belong to? I did write Homest in the margins of my book, so we have another whomst. If you want to know where whomst originated, listen to season two. Indeed.
1: Who wins the chapters?
0: I think Mrs. Taylor, Mrs. Weston, Miss Taylor, Mrs. Weston, comes out on top of these chapters.
1: Yes, yeah, she she rids herself the Woodhouse's uh, neuroses. And instead gains a husband, gains a bunch of social class, and is in love. So good for her. Good for
0: Mrs. Weston. Good for Mrs. Weston.
1: Uh, Listeners, that concludes this current episode of Pod and Prejudice, Emma edition, season three. If you are following along with us, you should read chapters four through five of the next episode. That's what we'll be covering. So until next time, stay proper.
0: And find yourself a husband. Classic. I love it. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by SpeechDocs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.